Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the most unique, entertaining, and compelling sports talk podcast you'll ever listen to. Let's be great. Let's be great. Wendell's World in Sports with the one and only Wendell Wallace. Giannis charging down the lane to the rim. Double clutch. No good. Tipped in. Giannis tipped it home. Subscribe, rate, and review anywhere and everywhere you listen to this and all your favorite podcasts. And now, from Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Rip, Ruin, and ready to rumble, Wendell Wallace. Welcome to Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the World of Sports. Special dedication for those who are watching this episode on YouTube. I thank you so much. Special dedication for those who are listening to this podcast. Anywhere where you listen to your uh, favorite podcast. Before I go ahead and before I start talking about what happened in the uh, NBA, before I start talking about what happened in Game 7 between the Dallas Mavericks and the Phoenix Suns, before I get into what happened with the Milwaukee Bucks and the Boston Celtics, before we do the autopsy on the Philadelphia 76ers and where they're going, before I get into all of those things, if you could just do me this one favor, I would very, very much appreciate it. For those who are Listening to this podcast, albeit on Spotify, Amazon, iTunes, anywhere where you listen to your favorite podcast, if you could just do me this one simple thing for me. If you could just go ahead and download, subscribe, rate, review, follow, and most importantly, enjoy the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast, I would very much appreciate it. And for those who are watching this on my YouTube channel, if you could just go ahead and subscribe to my channel, I would appreciate it. If you could like this video if you very much do so i would very much appreciate it it would uh, really mean a lot to me so there you go man wendell's world in sports with yours truly wendell wallace about ready to uh, get it on as we speak about what is happening in the world of sports mainly focusing on the nba playoffs man um you know i'm doing this on a monday afternoon just got back from mesquite nevada trying to uh, make sure that uh, the younger generation is prepared to take care of us are my generation when we get older and we're no longer running this country so that's my bounded duty but um going ahead and i'm recording this on a monday afternoon had the opportunity to go ahead and fully digest what happened on sunday game six between or game seven between the dallas mavericks and the phoenix suns game seven between the Milwaukee Bucks and the Boston Celtics. So I've had plenty of time to kind of collect my thoughts. I I, I really don't like to uh, go in with a whole bunch of emotion. I like to kind of sit back. I kind of like to hear some things. I like to do a little studying. I like to do a little, uh, you know, step back and think about the big picture type of thing before I go in and give my thoughts and opinions about uh, what's happening in the current everyday world of sports. And, man, when I was speaking and when I'm thinking about, I was going to go ahead and I was going to do Milwaukee And I was going to go ahead and do uh, Boston first, kind of talk about the importance of that series for the Boston Celtics, not just as a team, but also for certain individuals as they move along or they're building their careers, mainly talking about Jason Tatum, then talking about the upcoming series between the Miami Heat and what does it mean for both franchises, the Miami Heat and the Boston Celtics, what does it mean in terms of this upcoming Eastern Conference final the individual accolades, the individual accomplishments, the resume that's being built right now by a young Jason Tatum trying to uh, build his stature in the game, a situation where each year 
He has been building each year. He's been growing each year. He's been getting better each year. He's been getting to the point where now he's considered one of the best two-way players in the game and, of course, one of the best players in the game right now. The ascension to being that franchise generational great player continues with a marvelous performance in Game 6 and then a solid performance in Game 7 in the Eastern Conference second round against the Milwaukee Bucks. The uh, ascension somewhat inconsistently of Jalen Brown to be the uh, Robin to Jason Tatum's Batman, the play of Grant Williams in Game 7, the role players such as a Marcus Smart, a Al Horford and such, blending this team together, the coaching of Emeka Udoka, uh, blending this team together to get to where they are right now, where you would have to consider them the heavy favorites in as far as the Eastern Conference is concerned to uh, win that conference championship and be one of the strong favorites to win the NBA championship. I don't know if this is going to be a situation where this is the this is a, um, uh, a progress, a growth for the Celtics in this young core, which is right on schedule or um, getting to the promised land before they even thought with the ups and downs and the trials and tribulations, Tatum, Brown forming that relationship, forming that one-two duo, putting the pieces around them, the acquisition, the reacquisition of Al Horford, the emergence of a solid point guard play, well, both offensively and, of course, defensively from Marcus Smart, winning the defensive player of the year is concerned, um, the tinkering of the head coaching position where Brad Stevens at one time when he was in his coaching prime in the NBA was considered one of the elite coaches and the NBA and one of the up-and-coming superstars of coaches in the NBA now making that transition from coaching the sidelines over to uh, the GM position where he made the moves to bring in an Al Horford, where he made the moves to bring in a Derek White, where he made the moves to go ahead and trade a Dennis Schroeder, where he made the moves to sculpt and to build the team uh, as far as the Boston Celtics are concerned that uh, are viable candidates to uh, win a championship. I was going to get into all that. I really want to delve into all that. And the, and the, and the team that they're playing in the Eastern Conference Finals, who all by it, oh, by the way, had the best record in the Eastern Conference, the Miami Heat, a team that is going to come in with a chip on their shoulder, led by Jimmy Butler. We don't know the status of Kyle Lowry, but this is a team – and the Miami Heat, which is discipline, a team that's going to play hard, a team that knows itself, a team that's going to uh, give the Boston Celtics everything they got. And there's a history here where the Miami Heat, the recent history, where Miami has beaten Boston in a playoff series. So they already have the confidence. They already have the wherewithal. And you're also dealing when you're speaking about going up against the Miami Heat, the best coach so far left in the playoffs, and Eric Spolstra, the elite coach in itself, and Eric Spolstra, just like, as I was mentioning, with the Miami Heat coming into the playoff series, how much of an advantage does the Heat have with Eric Spolstra as their coach when, while Jimmy Butler is a very good player, he's not a Giannis, he's not a Nikola Jokic, he's not a Joel Embiid, he's not a Luka, the way he's playing right now he's not a Jason Tatum so how much can the acumen how much can the coaching ability of Eric Spolstra make up for the fact that he doesn't have that generational great franchise all NBA MVP type candidate on his team even though you have the grit and you have what I would probably say about 
number 18, number 20 in terms of the uh, best player in the game in Jimmy Butler, a guy who, if he didn't make the third team All-NBA team, was right on the fringes of making that team and making, so showing you what type of player that he is in terms of being a leader of a team that had a chance to win the championship. What, what does it mean moving forward in this upcoming series between the Celtics and the Miami Heat? I'm going to get into that a little bit later. And also speak about the, uh, the Milwaukee Bucks was watching the game. Of course, you were watching the game if you're an NBA fan and you saw um, the Milwaukee Bucks miss shot after shot and after, after shot. And for the first time, I guess you could say, in probably, a, I don't know, maybe a couple of uh, series and maybe maybe in a couple of years you saw Giannis Adenokupo, um kind of wither away a little bit. Now, it's understandable. The fact that the guy who scored in Game 7 25 points grabbed 20 rebounds and dish, dished nine assists to a team that uh, was, what, four for 30-something from the three-point line? I mean, to, to, to say that that game for Giannis was something of a disappointment when you look at the – when you take a look at the greatness of Giannis and what he's been, especially when you factor in the championship that he won last year, it just goes to prove that Giannis – is still the best player in the NBA. All apologies to Joel Embiid. All apologies to Nikola Jokic. All apologies even to Luka, the way that he's playing right now. Even apologies to uh, Kevin Durant and others. I think that the best player still on the planet as of right now is Giannis and the performance that he put up against the um, Boston Celtics in Game 7 for the Milwaukee Bucks just proved to be just a little bit too much uh too much food for him to chew on and digest to still keep a rocking and a rolling and to uh, play the type of and play at the level that he's been playing at playing at, at a consistent basis even though as I mentioned before 25 20 and 9 for 98 percent of players in the NBA 99 percent of the players in the NBA would be absolutely outstanding and for the rest would be really really good for Giannis the level that he's been playing at and especially when you take into account the significance uh, game seven on the road against the Boston Celtics after Milwaukee held a three to two lead in the series. A little bit disappointing, but I'll get into uh, that a little bit later. I, I, I want to get into, of course, what in the hell happened to the Phoenix Suns? What, what was, what was that? What was that in Game Seven at home against the Dallas Mavericks? A team in Phoenix that won, what, 64, 65 games? Look, no shame in losing to the Dallas Mavericks in Game 7. I, I thought that uh, most people would think that the Phoenix Suns, as far as the totality of the team is concerned, is a better team than the Dallas Mavericks, especially when you're speaking about having the home court advantage for that playoff series. But when you have a freak, when you have a generational great, when you have the buildings and the makings of an all-time great in Luka Dantich and the performance that he's been putting up throughout his playoff career, going into Game 7, yes, it was at home for the Phoenix Suns. Going into Game 7, man, you don't give that cat, you don't give somebody of that skill, you don't give somebody of that greatness, you don't give somebody who has those cojones, you don't give somebody who has that confidence, you don't give somebody who has that swag all mixed into basketball brilliance and genius. You don't give that guy any type of situation at all where he can have the impact that he had in Game 7. So for 
Dallas going into Game 7 against Phoenix, that's all these prognosticating, well, prognostication from people who uh, make a pretty good living talking about the NBA, prognosticating on the NBA, betting on the NBA, making finals, making money from the NBA, speaking about the NBA with uh, great in-depth, talking about uh, Phoenix has the advantage. Game 7 at home, we know Phoenix's record. We know what they do clutch time. We know what they did as far as going to the NBA Finals last season. They're going to use that experience. Devin Booker was talking about how cool it was for him to have this experience of going into Game 7, almost like this is going to be something that they can use. He was almost speaking in terms of you could, you could almost take it as. I don't, I don't, I don't want to you know say what he was thinking because I'm not in the head of Devin Booker. I'm not reading his thoughts in terms of what he was thinking when he said this. But when he was speaking about, man, this is a great experience, Game 7 and, and those type of things, you could easily deduce what he was saying as, man, this is going to be great. We're going to get this experience. We're going to uh, win this game and get Game 7, this experience, uh, under our belts, and this is going to catapult us, and this is going to make us stronger. And when you write the novel, when you write the movie, when you write the story about the 2022 NBA champion Phoenix Suns, we can go ahead during the movie and talk about we used this opportunity. We used this Game 7. The first time that we had to be in a Game 7 with the trio of DeAndre Ayton, Devin Booker, and Chris Paul. So we used that experience to go ahead and win this game against an awesome player like Luka Doncic and move on to the conference finals and play the Golden State Warriors. And that experience, those hard times, those trials and tribulations were, 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 were uh, fantastic for us to finally win that championship. You could easily make the deduction if you wanted to. That that what Devin Booker was talking about. If I was Jason Kidd, if I was Luka Dantich, if I was Jalen Brunson, if I was uh, Finney Smith, if I was any of those guys, that's the way I would have taken it. Like, man, this guy's talking about how great and how wonderful it is, and you know, he's almost speaking. He's almost speaking like this is a foregone conclusion. Like this is a fait accompli that they're going to go ahead and they're going to win this game seven on their on on their home court. Well, guess what? No, they ain't. So when you're speaking about Luca coming into town and with the swag and with the confidence and with the cojones and everything like that to do what he did, toy with those guys in Game 7 right from the jump getty, it was astounding. It was amazing. It was all inspiring. It was fantastic. It was all of those things mixed into one, the performance that Luca gave Game 7. If you're speaking about, if you're speaking about a performance and you're speaking about the, the, the setup, and you're speaking about the scene, and you're speaking about the plot, and you're speaking about everything that went down and what it meant in that game. Luca, just by one half, gave the performance of the 2022 NBA Finals so far, or the NBA Playoffs so far. Yeah, we can talk about the greatness of Jason Tatum in Game 6 and what he did and the fact that uh, the game between Boston and Milwaukee on the road and the closeout game for the Bucks, uh elimination game for the Boston Celtics and the shots in the fourth quarter that Jason Tatum had to make and the opposition that he was going against against the uh, Milwaukee Bucks and the game that Giannis put up that, have, that, that made the game that Jason Tatum had in game six, uh, he had to have it. If Jason Tatum was 5 10% less of what he was in game six, Boston's not moving on to the Eastern Conference Finals. They're moving on to vacation time and Cancun. And it's the Milwaukee Bucks who are moving on to play the Miami Heat in the Eastern Conference Finals. So, yes, you could make that argument w w without question 
that it was Jason Tatum's game six in terms of having the performance of the playoffs. But, man, I'm going to go back again, and I'm going to uh, double down in terms of what Luka did in the first half to just destroy, just to annihilate. He went King Kong. He went Godzilla on an Asian community, namely the Phoenix Suns, in terms of tearing down, breaking down, destroying everything. And I don't know where we go from here in terms of what's the uh, what's going to be the ramifications of this beatdown, the ramifications of this embarrassment, the ramifications of this destruction. I mean, Luka Dantich might have just destroyed an era of, of, uh, of, of Phoenix Suns basketball. Because you think about it, Phoenix moves on, they win this game, they go ahead and win the NBA championship or they make it to the NBA championship. Now we're speaking about a team in the Western Conference if they do repeat as Western Conference champions, now you're speaking about a team that, hey, man, as far as the Western Conference is concerned, the trio of DeAndre Ayton, Chris Paul, and Devin Booker, these, are going to, these guys are going to be the benchmark. These are the guys that the Utah Jazz and the Denver Nuggets and the Dallas Mavericks and the Memphis Grizzlies and the Golden State Warriors and, and those type of squads. Those are the teams that are now going to be looking up and saying, what can we do? to go ahead and beat this team. This is going to be a situation where what happens with DeAndre Ayton? What happens with Chris Paul? What happens with this Phoenix Suns team? What happens with Monty Williams moving forward after something like this? And but It would have been hard enough for Phoenix if they would have lost 116-111. Luka goes absolutely nuts and brilliant. He, you know, if, if Luka goes for 47-14-12. And Jalen Brunson chips in with 19. Reggie Bullock and Max, Maxi Kleba hits a couple of threes late to offset the brilliant performance by Devin Booker and Chris Paul and those guys. I mean, that would have been hard enough moving forward with everything that was in front of the Phoenix Suns in terms of what they could build for their resume, what they could build for this, this era of Phoenix Suns basketball. Coach Bonnie Williams, um, James, uh, um, Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, uh, 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 Chris Paul, and the rest of the fellas. I mean, a, a, a close game where they played well, but they just fell a little bit short because of Luka's brilliance. I mean, that would have been bad enough. That would have been hard enough when you speak about the expectations that the Phoenix Suns had. To go out there, game seven, on your home court, and play that poorly, I don't know if this team can recover from something like that. I, I really don't. The, the, the foundation that the Phoenix Suns have. I mean, Chris Paul was talking about, I'm not retiring, I'm coming back, I'm, 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 I'm going to try to run this back, we'll be back here again. What, what does that mean? If you're a fan right now of the Phoenix Suns, what, 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 what the, so what? I mean, now you're speaking about a situation where it's really going to be championship or bust. And I don't think after a devastating loss like this, I don't think this group of Phoenix Suns has it in them to, to rebound from something like this. You know, speaking about rebound from this, this, that, and the other. I, I, I just don't think they don't. And it was the lack of fight. That was the most amazing thing. I mean, as I mentioned before, 116, 111, Luka, this, that, and the other. Tough, horrible, terrible, but man, this, that, and the other. To go out there like you did and get your ass whooped and not even put up a fight not even fight back 
I mean, we, we can speak about, you know, it's one of those games and nothing goes right. I didn't see any fight. I didn't see any care. I mean, I, I mean, hell, I wouldn't have even been mad if, I don't know, one of the sons, when Luca was going down the lane or when, um, when Spencer Dinwiddie was going in the left or right side for another layup on a mismatch on the perimeter from Bismarck Biombo, I, I wouldn't have been mad if, if someone just didn't come over and just clothesline Luca or just clothesline Dinwiddie or just clothesline Jalen Brunson or just do something dirty. You know, go ahead and do what um, James Worthy did to Cedric Maxwell game six of the 1984 NBA Finals. Do what Kevin McHale did to Kurt Rambis in the 1984 NBA Finals. What Kareem Abdul-Jabbar did to Larry Bird, elbowing him in the back of the head on a rebound in the 1984 NBA Finals. I, I, if, if, if they had to revert to New York Knicks-style basketball with Patrick Ewing and Anthony Mason and Charles Oakley coached by Pat Riley with John Starks, if they had to play that dirty, if they had to play that physical, and, oh, well, some guy gets thrown out. I mean, I would have been like, well, I mean, it's a situation where, okay, we're not going to beat you, but, hell, you ain't going to embarrass us. And if you are going to embarrass us, and unfortunately on the basketball court in terms of playing by the rules, we can't do anything to stop you, well, then, I'm sorry, Luca, it looks like I'm going to have to close the line. You have a dirty play, and Reggie Bullock and Finney Smith and anybody else want to come fight me, well, then let's go. Because the way I'm feeling right now, as you're up there whooping my ass and our fans are booing us, and we're getting obliterated in game seven of a closeout game, in the NBA playoffs to where we're supposed to be uh, favorites to win a championship? Yeah, man, I'm ready to scrap. I'm ready to throw down with somebody. Let's go. Let's go. I didn't see any of that. I didn't see any fight. I didn't see any emotion. I saw nothing. I saw a team that very early, it, it was almost so quickly in stages, what the Phoenix Suns did in terms of Okay, Luca's hot. We're down. We're down. We're not making shots. There's a little panic here. There's a little uh-oh here. There's a little, my goodness, we're starting to uh, let this thing slide a little bit. Oh, my goodness gracious. That was kind of like in the first quarter. Then there was a sequence early in the second quarter where Dallas started missing some shots. And it was a situation where the game was still somewhere around 10, 11, 12 points early in the second quarter. This is game seven. This is on Phoenix's home court. You're like, okay, this is where Phoenix is going to make their run. This is where Phoenix is going to tighten up the defense. Dallas right now starting to miss shots. This is where uh, Phoenix is going to go on a 13-3 run. This is where Phoenix is going to go on an 8-0 run. This is the time where Devin Booker is going to get cooking. This is the time where Chris Paul is going to start doing his thing. This is the time when DeAndre Ayton is going to establish himself in the post on defense, offensive rebounds, or even rolls to the basket. This is going to be a situation where Cam Johnson is going to hit a three. This is going to be a situation where Jay Crowder is going to make a defensive play. This is a situation where they're going to get on that roll. The crowd's going to really start getting into this. Dallas is going to be a little bit flustered. Lucas on the bench right now. So this is the time where Phoenix is going to get back in the game. You thought that was going to happen early in the second quarter with Dallas leading anywhere between 9 and 12 and 13 points. And it never did. That sense of urgency never did. And when Dimwitty got hot, and when Dimwitty hit consecutive three-point shots to bring it back to double digits in the teens, it felt to me, I don't know, 
I wasn't there. I'm not in that locker room. I don't know these guys. But from the outside looking in of me watching this game from my town home in Las Vegas, Nevada, and watching this game on the television screen, it looked to me like Phoenix just said, fuck it, we ain't going to win. Let's just let's just kind of go ahead and, and um, let go of the rope. I don't, I, I don't know. That's what it felt like to me. It felt like to me at, at that point in time, there was no more fight in Phoenix. That the situation was a fait accompli in terms of we have no chance of winning. And when it got to be like 45 to 26 or something like that, in all intent and purposes, the game was over. I mean, we didn't even have to wait toward halftime with the score being 57 to 27. That game was over four or five minutes even before halftime. Game seven of an NBA playoff game at home with the Phoenix Suns winning over 60 games and being the prohibited favorites to win themselves an NBA championship. And that was it. That, that's, what, that's all they gave. This was a situation where, again, Luka, Dinwiddie, all these guys were just beating the shit out of them. And it was like, Phoenix was like, no, stop, we're done, we're done. Stop it, stop it. It was almost like, it was almost like Dallas was the bully. Phoenix was the victim. And it was like Phoenix was getting their ass whooped. And by their body language, by their play, by their intensity, by their passion, by their energy, by their focus. They said, we give up. Game's over. Stop it. And Dallas was like, no, nah, no, sorry. Nope. Uh-uh. Take this and that and this and that and this and that. It was like they were still wailing on the man. And it was like the Phoenix Suns were looking for the referee to, st- to stop this beatdown. Get them off of me. And Luca and all those guys were like, no, I remember, no, 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 book. I remember what you said after game five. I remember all that shit talking that you were doing. I remember all that. I remember in game two, as I was walking toward the locker room, I, I heard what that fan said from Phoenix. I heard all that chapping. I heard all that yapping from uh, front row. No, 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 no. I'm, 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 I'm enjoying this ass whooping too much for me to stop. So, again, just take this and take that. And take this and take that, and it was just not, it was just unmerciful. And Luca, man, Luca put on a show. My man put on a show, and it was a situation where, look, man, you know, there ain't too many guys in this league who have true swag and can back it up. I mean, it's like they were just born with that swag. And when you're thinking about basketball, almost all the time, when you're speaking about, guys with swag we're speaking about brothers who are playing basketball from uh from the states who come in with that swag who come in with that uh with with, with that uh you know with that with that chip i wouldn't say chip on their shoulder but you know that 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 kind of hip-hop flair and attitude you know what i'm talking about you know in terms of they walk in they're the coolest guy in the room and this that the other they're ready to do their thing they got that swag and it's like it's like a situation where you want to follow that guy. Man, you want to be that guy, but you know that you can't because you know that, A, you don't have the type of swag that he has. B, you don't know where he's been to even accumulate, to even get that type of swag, to even learn that type of swag, the environment that he was brought up in, the trials and tribulations, and his youth that he had to go through, the, 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 the neighborhood, the block, the situation where he cultivated and learned that swag and got that swag. I mean, the situation where, you know, fellas – for the most part, when you got that swag and you're the best player in the game and you can do that type of thing, man, it's a powerful, 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 powerful thing. 
And that's the type of guy that people want to uh, follow. That's the type of guy that when he says jump, you say how high. That's the type of guy that if he says that today the sky is going to be purple, you better best believe that uh, the, the, the sky is going to be purple. He's that type of guy. And that type of swag, that type of leadership, that type of, uh, that type of, of, of being, especially in sports when you're speaking about the NBA, that's been mainly reserved for the black folks, the, for, for, from, uh, black folks from the black community coming in and giving that thing. Man, Luca brothering out in terms of his swag, man. Luca has got that swag. I don't, I don't know exactly what he went through in terms of his journey to get to where he is now. I know that, you know, he, he had a lot of responsibility thrown on him at an early age, a guy who was a basketball prodigy, a guy who was playing as a 16, 17-year-old winning MVPs, winning championships and pro leagues overseas. As a 15, 16, 17-year-old, here's a guy who's responsible for um, his coach getting paid, for his teammates being able to feed their family. I mean, this was a guy as a teenager who had that responsibility. I don't know if he got that swag. I don't know how much swag he got from being a man and realizing that, yeah, I'm that damn good, and then going to the NBA, and then going over to the NBA, the best league in the world, going up against the best players of the world and making them look foolish, making them look silly. At 22, 23 years old, knowing, knowing that he's the best player on the planet right now and you ain't going to get too much debate from anybody else, to have that type, I, I, the, the, all that accumulates that type of swag. And what he did in the first two playoff games of his career, the game sevens, you knew that he wasn't going to be scared. You know that the moment wasn't going to be too big for him. You knew that he was going to have a big game. And this is what I'm talking about when you're talking about swag. The Phoenix Suns knew that also. The Phoenix Suns knew that this was a guy in Luka that was not going to bow down. This was a guy in Luka who knew that, you know what, this guy's going to give performances reserved for the greats. Because we've seen it before, albeit in losing battles. But we've seen it before. Luka walking in with that swag. We knew that just like Jordan, we knew just like LeBron, we knew just like Bird, we knew just like Magic, we knew just like those guys, like Kobe. We knew that Luka was going to relish, not run away, but relish the opportunity of this moment and to put on a masterpiece, to put on a show, to put on a masterclass. That's swag, my man. That is unbelievable swag, and that's what Luka did against the Phoenix Suns. And when you can talk the talk, walk the walk, and then some, what the hell are you going to do? What was Phoenix going to do? Phoenix was completely taken out by the swag of Luka Doncic. Again, that's Michael Jordan stuff right there. That's Magic Johnson stuff right there. That's LeBron James stuff right there. That's Tim Duncan stuff right there, even though Tim wasn't a guy. Tim showed his swag in, in a different way. Tim wasn't a guy who was going to talk. Tim wasn't a guy who was going to make facial gestures. Tim wasn't a guy who was going to do all those type of things. But you knew Tim Duncan and his prime was going to be a guy who was going to be able to wreck shop in an important game, and there, were, there wasn't nothing that you could do about it. So a different type of swag coming from Tim Duncan. But, man, Luca's got that, and the man is only 23 years old. Where did he learn that? Where did he cultivate that? He didn't learn it in East L.A. He didn't learn it in uh, Southeast D.C. He didn't learn it in Liberty City. He didn't learn it in, uh, uh, in the Fifth Ward in Houston. He didn't learn it in, in the inner cities of 
of uh, of the uh, of, of America. He didn't learn it from the streets of Chicago. He didn't learn it on Akron. He didn't learn it on, in, on any of those places. You know, you take a look at the great players. You take a look at the great players of yesteryear with that swag. Black folks coming from the black community, they always talk about the neighborhood that they're from. They always talk about the university that they face. They always always talked about that in terms of that's how I cultivated that swag. That's how I cultivated that chip. That's how I cultivated that uh, that, that that greatness. The neighborhood, the environment, helped me do that. Luca coming from a whole different situation when you're speaking about, man, at 23 years old, how did you get the cojones? How did you get the nuts? How did you get the, 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 the nerve? How did you get the swag to walk on to that court in game seven and know that you were going to obliterate and destroy an entire franchise? 23 years old. And the man was so devastating. The man was so great. Devin Booker, top five, top six player in the NBA this season, said, I don't want none of that, and even if I did, I don't even know what I could do with that. Luka Doncic looked at Devin Booker and said, what do you got? And Luka Doncic, uh, Luka Doncic looked at Devin Booker and said, what do you got for me? And Devin Booker looked right back at him and said, nothing. Chris Paul, one of the greatest players of his generation, one of the greatest point guards of all time, one of the top 30, 40 greatest players of all time, Lucas said, I don't give a fuck. Give me the ball. Let me, let me, let me back down this midget. I don't give a fuck. Uh-huh. Let me, let me go ahead and, and take his heart. Let me go ahead and, and put him out the pasture. Let me, go el- let me go old yeller Chris Paul for this season. It was amazing. Absolutely, positively, undeniably amazing. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host. Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Just taking a look at the Western Conference second round between Dallas and and Phoenix. I know people are going to focus on Chris Paul. Oh, another Chris Paul failure. There we go. Mr. Point God can't get out of the second round again. The Point God falling off a cliff after his team is being up in the series. Point God not getting it done when the team needs him to be. Point God wasting maybe probably his best opportunity to uh, win a championship outside of uh, being up 2-0 last season in the NBA Finals against the Milwaukee Bucks. The point God, Chris Paul, failing, choking again. Man, when you get embarrassed the way that the Phoenix Suns did against the Dallas Mavericks, it's more than Chris Paul, man. It's more than Chris Paul. You can't sit up there. You, you, you can make your jokes. and You can go Pat Beverly on Chris Paul. The, the Phoenix Suns didn't lose that game because of Chris Paul. Because, to me, this was something more than just missing shots or missing defensive assignments or, or, or a situation where Luka's brilliance. I mean, again, if this was a tight game, if this was a contested game, if this was a game that was still a game in doubt in the fourth quarter and Chris Paul had the game that he had, then, yeah, pile on even more. If... Chris Paul had golden opportunities in this game seven against the Dallas Mavericks, and he came up short. Maybe he turned the ball over. Maybe he missed wide-open shots. Maybe, um, you know, defensive lapses, whatever it may be, which caused in the fourth quarter the Phoenix Suns to lose this game to the Dallas Mavericks. Go ahead, man. Pile on Chris Paul. You know, rip of the shreds, all of those type of things. Go, go for it. Enjoy. 
this wasn't the situation. This was a from Monty Williams all the way down to Aaron Holiday type of blame. You can't take a look at Chris Paul and say, see? Now, there's a situation coming out right now that Chris Paul had a, um, had a quad injury, suffered that after game two and, and all these type of things. And we can have the discussion about Chris Paul, the injuries, and how reliable he is. And this is a guy who turned over his whole basketball life in terms of trying to, um, trying to extend his career with veganism and a new way of uh, training and a new way of trying to get the best out of the uh, last few years that he has as an NBA basketball player and still be at that elite level. And yet and still, we see again hand injury, which caused Chris Paul at the end of the season to miss some time. Then he comes back and against New Orleans, the guy is unbelievable. First two games against Phoenix, unbelievable. And then he goes from 22, 23 points a game in the playoffs to all of a sudden from game three in the second round against Dallas to game seven, he's shooting 35%. He's averaging less than 10 points a game. His assist numbers are cut in half. And the brilliance that he had in the New Orleans series, the way that he closed out that series by going 14 for 14. The first two games against the Phoenix Suns, against the uh, Dallas Mavericks, yeah, I can point to a situation where, yeah, he's injured. And, yeah, I know everybody's injured. Everybody has their, uh, you know, their, their nicks and their injuries and that type of thing. Evidence shows that this wasn't, you know, a, a slightly sprained ankle. This wasn't a sore elbow. This wasn't a bruised hip. If you take a look at the production that Chris Paul had from games three to seven against Dallas compared to what he did uh, leading up to game three in the playoffs with going when Phoenix was going up against New Orleans and then the first two games against the Mavericks. This was something that was totally, totally different. And again, you can have that discussion. You can have that argument. If you're really going to go ahead and, you know, be a Chris Paul hater or have some level of Chris Paul is overrated or Chris Paul ain't the bee's knees or the stuff that folks are speaking about with Chris Paul when they're just, uh, you know, doing the funky chicken and doing the James Brown. They talk about Chris Paul because they're so excited of his greatness that they forget to mention the fact that he's never won a championship. They forget to mention the fact that he's always injured when it counts the most. They forget the fact that of all the shortcomings that he's had in the playoffs. You want to go ahead and kind of, Kind of, kind of, kind of make those statements. You're, 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 you're more than happy to. You would be right and justified to. But um, that's for another discussion. When you're speaking about in specific what happened Game Seven on Sunday against the Dallas Mavericks with Chris Paul, how much of the blame should go his way? Because that was that was horrible. And if you think about it, here, here, here's Chris Paul, right? Okay, who's the best player on that team? Who's supposed to be the best player on that team? It's supposed to be Devin Booker. As I mentioned before, Devin Booker was a guy, if he didn't make first-team All-NBA, he damn sure was a strong second-team All-NBA player. A guy who, outside of Joel and Giannis and Nikola, when you're speaking about MVPs, who's that next tier in terms of should be considered the MVP, he was right there with Luka. He was right there with Jason Tatum. If you're going to have that type of act, if you're going to have something like that, if you're going to be known as a player who's that great, then Devin Booker had an awesome year. 
There was nothing cheesy. There was nothing cheap. There was nothing sleazy. There was nothing head-scratching. There was nothing um, bamboozling about Devin Booker being considered a top five, top six player in the NBA for this season. But if you're really going to be that guy, if you're really going to be that guy, top six player in the NBA, franchise player in the NBA, franchise player meaning winning championships, Devin Booker cannot, cannot, or any other player of that such high regard play the way that he played in Game 7. I blame more of this on Devin Booker than I do Chris Paul. I know it's, I know it's uh, natural and customary and in season right now when you're speaking about the shortcomings of Chris Paul and the pile on him. Okay, fine. But mm -mm. if you're going to be talking about tears in terms of who's to blame for the loss against the, um, the Dallas Mavericks, Devin Booker. If you're a top five, top six player, got to do a little bit better than that. Game six, game seven, two chances to eliminate the Dallas Mavericks. Devin Booker didn't get it done. We saw what Jason Tatum did. We saw what Luka Dantich did. We saw what Giannis did, albeit in a losing effort. But we saw the level of play. We saw the impact. We saw what... But what Jason Tatum had to bring out going up against Giannis in game six to survive that game and then have Boston move on, play game seven on their home court to win that basketball game, thanks to Grant Williams. We saw all of those things that happened. What was Devin Booker doing in game six? What was Devin Booker doing in game seven? What was the impact that Devin Booker had in game six and game seven? Top five, top six player this season? Yes, but... We got to stop short in terms of calling Devin Booker a franchise type player. Whole different season, man, when you're speaking about the NBA and when you're speaking about the regular season. And in a moment where, and look, Booker's still a young cat. I'm not saying that this is written in stone in terms of whether he can get to be that guy that can be that player that can lead a team two way championship. But in his first try of doing so, uh, he failed, and he failed miserably, and he was outshone considerably by a guy who has shown, even in losses, even in series-clinching losses, that he's that guy that can get it done in in Luka Dantich. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So moving on to um, moving on to the Western Conference Finals, we have the Golden State Warriors. We have the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, is it far-fetched? To say, and I know we're living in the moment, and I know that we're coming off of this game seven between Dallas and Phoenix, but um, based on that performance, uh, how strong, how strongly do you consider the Dallas Mavericks to be a real threat or even be the favorite, even though Vegas doesn't have them at the favorite? How, how, how much of a chance do you give the Dallas Mavericks to beat the Golden State Warriors, especially if you took a look at game five and game six that the Warriors played against the Memphis Grizzlies. Now, Mike Brown with the coach, it seemed like in game, it seemed like in game, even games, um, even games four, five, and six, those three games, it was almost like a situation where the, it was almost like the Golden State Warriors were trying to give Mike Brown a little introduction about what it's going to be like being the coach of the Sacramento Kings last year, especially or next season, especially if you're speaking about the performance that they gave in Game 5. But uh, 
Those three games, I, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it, it's not a situation where Steve Kerr is going to come back and everything is going to be just fine. I mean, outside of game two in that series against Memphis, can you point to any spectacular? Spectacular might be too much of a uh, – too much asking. But w when you're speaking about championship-level play from Golden State, and you're speaking about the team possibly that they're going to have to go up against to win a championship, first Dallas, Dallas and then either Miami or Boston. Outside of game two against Memphis, did you see any indication, did you see any evidence that Golden State should be the favorites to make it to the uh, NBA Finals? Or at least have them be such high favorites or such strong favorites against the uh, Dallas Mavericks? And again, we're, we're how much was Game 7's performance against Phoenix a situation where Dallas played out of his mind and somehow, someway can sustain that level of play? Or Phoenix was just so horrid, Phoenix was just so terrible that it gave a false impression that, man, all of a sudden now Dallas is, are, are true world beaters. When is Steph going to have that Steph Curry game? How many games in this series against Dallas is he going to have to have that Steph Curry game? When I say that Steph Curry game, how many, how many games is he going to have to go for anywhere between 35 and 45 points? Shoot somewhere around 42, 45, 48% from the three-point line, shooting 13, 14 three-pointers. How many times is he going to go to the uh, foul line? How many games is Clay Thompson going to have to where he's either going to be like he was in game six or he was in game five where he shot or game four where he shot six for 20? What type of Clay Thompson are we going to get? Can we rely on Clay Thompson to be consistently that guy that's going to be able to help out Steph? Is Steph going to have any more games where he's going to be shooting five for 17 from the three-point line or have games where he's not shooting well? And how many games is that going to be in terms of Steph and Clay, Jordan Poole might not being Jordan Poole that we saw in the earlier rounds and also during the season this season? How many games where Golden State is going to play at the level that they did against the Memphis Grizzlies, even in games that they won outside of game, outside of game, was it game? Yeah, it was, uh, what was it? I, I forgot the game where they won 142 to uh, 112. But outside of that game, how many games are going to be like that? How many games is Golden State going to play at that level? And how many games do they need to play at that level or even higher if they're going to be going up against Luka? And when you speak about Luka, all right, how many games is Luka in this Western Conference Finals going to have where he's going to be, who's already going to be the best player on the court? So how many more masterpieces? How many more masterclasses? How many more games does he have left in him in this Western Conference Finals against the Warriors where he's going to put on a show, he's going to put on a performance, and most importantly, take the heart, take the will, take the fight out of the other team. We, we would have thought it would have, it would have been silly to think that Luka could have done that against the Phoenix Suns in Game 7, but he did. Now he's going up against a team that won multiple championships, who has championship DNA. But if Luka starts doing the thing, Who's going to guard him? Who are they going to start him off with? Andrew Wiggins? 
Jonathan Kaminga, break glass in case of emergency, Draymond Green. I mean, if he uses and abuses those guys, what's going to be left for the Golden State Warriors, especially when you're speaking about a team that relies so heavily on the three-point three shot? What's going to be happening moving forward? What's going to be happening with the others for the Golden State Warriors? Otto Porter, uh, uh, Jordan Poole, are we going to maybe see a, a Damian Lee? How much of an impact now that Steve Kerr is back on the bench that Jonathan Kaminga is going to have? Because uh, he's played, played uh, four or five minutes when Mike Brown was coaching that team and uh, really didn't have an impact. So can he have an impact with such little experience? You know, what, what, what is Kevin Looney going to be able to get some run or because of the matchup, he's going to be relegated to uh, non-consequential time. So all of those things. And, of course, with Dallas, when you're speaking about not just Luka, but when you're speaking about Luka's others, when you're speaking about Dimwitty, when you're speaking about Fenny Smith, when you're speaking about Reggie Bullock, when you're speaking about Jalen Brunson, when you're speaking about Darvis Bertans, when you're speaking about Maxi Kleba, are they going to be able to bring their games from home on the road? Are they going to be able to bring their games, the, what they do, their strengths? Are they going to be able to bring the level of play that they had, that they showed in the round against Phoenix at home and bring that to the road on the Chase Center and play against Golden State? Are they going to be able to do that? And are they going to be able to keep up that level of play when they come back home? And going back to Golden State, how well is Jordan Poole? How well is Otto Porter? How well are those guys going to uh, play when they have to go on the road and go to a raucous arena like Dallas and play games three and four and possibly uh, game six? So those are the things that I'm going to be looking for in these playoffs again. The, the, the magic of Luka, what's the defensive assignment, the, 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 the matchup, that's going to be Draymond and Luka is going to be so doggone fascinating, man. It's going to be so doggone interesting. It's going to be main event type stuff. What you're going to be speaking about, because you know Draymond ain't going to back down. And you, knew, and you know Luka ain't going to back down. So there's going to be some shit talking. There's going to be some jabbering. There's going to be some, yeah, motherfucker, what the fuck you got? I got this bitch buckets. What you got? It's going to be that type of stuff going back between Draymond and Luka. And it's going to be excellent theater. Because Luka is what the... Memphis Grizzlies, half of the Memphis Grizzlies who talk all that shit, they wish that they could be Luka. Luka is the real deal. Memphis are contenders when they talk that shit. I mean, Dylan Brooks can walk around with a scowl on his face and take hero bad shots and talk shit and do all those type of things, thinking that he's bad, bad Leroy Brown. Bullshit. Luka can do that shit. He can't. Desmond Bain can talk all that shit to uh, Steph Curry and all that kind of stuff. Bullshit. Luka Doncic can Desmond Bain can't. All them motherfuckers from, from um, Memphis. Win a couple of rounds and then come talk your shit. You know, be at the level of Luka and then talk your shit. Ain't happening. So an interesting, interesting, interesting Western Conference coming up, the Western Conference Finals, the Phoenix Suns. I don't know, man. That, 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 that trio and what's going to be happening, what's going to be the aftermath because DeAndre Ayton, Something going on with that man. Something's going on. I don't know if he's upset with his contract. I don't know if it's a situation. Maybe he hadn't shown any type of outwardly um, disdain or he hadn't shown that the fact that he didn't get that max contract, it didn't affect the level of play. So now all of a sudden throughout the season, we hadn't heard a peep from DeAndre Ayton in terms of him maybe being a um, 
cancerous or destructive force within the locker room because he's brooding, he's pouting, he's upset because he didn't get the money that he thought he was supposed to get. We haven't heard any of that when the Phoenix Suns were rolling up 64 wins. Now all of a sudden in Game 7 of the uh, Western Conference second round between themselves and the Dallas Mavericks, all of a sudden now this is the time for DeAndre Ayton to uh, maybe have issues with that. Now, all of a sudden, this is going to be the time and the place where DeAndre Ayton's uh, lack of uh, trust in the, or lack of, uh, he feels the Phoenix Suns organization's lack of, uh, of trust and respect for this man, all of a sudden now, you're going to let that affect you and your teammates in Game 7? Man, you should have gone through that bullshit in, in February and March, and we could have gotten it straightened out or something. You're going to let that thing raise your raise its ugly head in Game 7? He didn't talk to reporters after the game. Monty Williams, when asked why DeAndre Ayton only played 17 minutes and didn't play any in the fourth quarter, that it was an internal decision. And Monty said it with a terse uh, type of tone. Like, don't be asking me any follow-up questions either, motherfucker. That's what I said. So what what's going to be happening here? DeAndre Ayton lost a lot of leverage in this series against Dallas a lot of leverage because now Sarver and the boys who are writing the checks can say this is the reason why we ain't giving you a max contract <laughs> this is the reason why because when we needed you you didn't come up and I'm not just talking about in game seven I'm just talking about it in this series in general you you weren't that guy and and remember DeAndre Ayton is also going up against the fact that he was in the same draft class as Luca. If you remember, if you don't remember, let me let me uh, tell you. In that draft, DeAndre Ayton was number one, not Luca Doncic. So this is a situation where look, Sacramento jokes in Atlanta drafted Trey Young, or they made the um, they made the uh, moves to get Trey Young and not draft Luca. So this is also a situation where maybe DeAndre sees what Luca is doing and it's a situation where damn I'm always going to go down at the guy who was drafted before this generational possibly potentially top 10 top 15 all-time great player and I'm getting disrespected like this and I'm not getting the opportunities that I should be getting to prove that I'm just as good or I was it was justifiable for me to be picked over the wonderkin known as Luka Doncic I don't know I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. But all of those things soon soon will be coming to light. So second round of the Western Conference, juicy, tasty, wonderful, delicious dish for uh, us to uh, savor when you're speaking about the Dallas Mavericks and the Golden State Warriors. It's going to be a fun series. It's going to be an exciting series. It's going to be a series that's going to be starting on Wednesday, and I cannot wait to watch it.
and welcome back to Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Final segment of the podcast, final segment of the program. You know what's interesting? And I'm not going to get into this because I got to admit I don't follow hockey like I should. But, man, these Stanley Cup playoffs so far have been outstanding. Man, they've been absolutely outstanding. I've really enjoyed uh, watching the uh, playoffs, the Stanley Cup playoffs. I know that puckheads out there are going to whine and moan and complain and yell and make fun of me and call me all kind of names and disparage my name and all those type of things because their love for hockey is the greatest sport on earth and the tournament to see who's going to win the Stanley Cup takes uh, it's the greatest thing in sports. It's awesome. And, you know, it's, it's an interesting dichotomy when you take a look at the Game 7s with the Rangers, New York Rangers, and the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins and the Edmonton Oilers and the Los Angeles Kings, the way those games went down, the Calgary Flames winning at home against the uh, Dallas Stars. It's a a, a different dichotomy when you're speaking about the excitement and the intrigue when you're speaking about those Game 7s that were highly contested, went into overtime, and the NBA playoffs where the two Game 7s between Milwaukee and Boston and Dallas and Dallas and and, and, uh, Phoenix were relatively blowouts. But it's just interesting in their own way in terms of no one, no one, no one, no one, no one thought that the Phoenix Suns would go out like that. It was an interesting game between Boston and Milwaukee in terms of you had Grant Williams basically playing all-star NBA weekend three-point shooting contest from the the, uh, right corner and from the – left elbow extended wide open because Budenholzer was like, look, you're not going to have Jason Tatum go for 45. You're not going to have Jason Jason Tatum beat us. So we're going to have to have someone else beat us, and it's going to be Grant Williams. And Grant Williams said, okay, I'll go ahead and beat you. But it's just a difference in terms of, look, you know, man, whatever you you float your boat, man. If you feel that the uh, NHL playoffs are awesome and great, I can't uh, argue with that. The the, uh, games that I watched were uh, fantastic. And I, and I really enjoy the fact that I can now have the time because there's some in-between time for me to not only watch the NBA playoffs but also the Stanley Cup playoffs. Mainly, a lot of times throughout the years, I w- would really much, I would really enjoy watching the Stanley Cup playoffs. But it's been a situation where I had to choose between the NBA and the NHL. And Lord knows I ain't going to be choosing the NHL over the NBA. But, uh, yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to continue watching the uh, NHL. I'm not going to be talking about it here, but uh, just, you know, as I mentioned before, I, I always enjoy watching sports where I don't have to really talk about them that much on my podcast because I can just watch it as a fan and enjoy. When I watch the NBA, I'm watching and I'm thinking to myself, okay, what storylines can I use and, you know, breaking down stuff. I, I, I watch these games enjoyment when you're speaking about the NFL, when you're speaking about my Georgetown Hoyas, when you're speaking about college football, college basketball sometimes, mainly my Georgetown Hoyas in the NBA. I normally am watching those games, following those games in terms of, okay, what can I use? What meat on the bone can I use for my podcast to talk about a storyline, to, to, to bring up a topic? So I'm, I'm, I'm watching from that angle. When I'm watching Wimbledon, when I'm watching the UFC, when I'm watching boxing, when I'm watching hockey and others, I don't have to worry about that stuff. I can just watch it a fan and then enjoy it. Different ways of enjoying it. But, uh, yeah, the NHL playoffs have been fantastic. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. All right, getting back to the 
NBA in about the last six or seven to eight minutes that I have to be speaking on what's going down. Man, how about this uh, stuff with the Boston Celtics and the uh, Milwaukee Bucks? Again, statement game for the continuation in terms of the growth of this team led by Jason Tatum, still under the age of, what is he, what, 22, 23, somewhere around there? But the, but the duo, shall we say, the growth and maturity of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and the uh, pieces that fit around them. Um, it's, I don't know if they're ahead of schedule. I don't know if they're right on schedule. I know this is the second – I know this is what probably the fourth time in six years that the Boston Celtics have made the uh, Eastern Conference Finals going up against the uh, Miami Heat. I think of the situation where I mentioned before when you spoke about the series between Boston and Milwaukee, and I was asking the question of whoever wins the series, are they going to be the favorites not only to win the Eastern Conference, but also be the favorites to win the NBA championship. You take a look at the growth. You take a look at uh, what Jason Tatum did in games um, five, excuse me, uh, six and seven. Then you take a look at a situation where, again, in game seven, the growth, maturity level, the understanding of Jason Tatum, you would think that, okay, game seven, I got to come out and I got to force, I got to enforce my will. I got to go ahead and I got to do my thing. And a lot of times when we're speaking about making an impact on the game and an important game like this, a legacy statement game like this, a resume building game like this, another level that you could go to for a young cat like Jason Tatum in a game like this, you would normally think that he would be the mindset of for me to go ahead and to accomplish everything that I want to accomplish in terms of getting to that next level. It would mean that I would have to shoot and shoot and shoot and shoot. But no. In this game, Jason Tatum, while not having the gaudy numbers that he's had throughout this, some of these games in these playoff series, albeit had a bad game in game three, it was a situation where he read the game perfectly and gave his team the best chance to win. And if that meant that Grant Williams was going to have more field goal attempts than Jason Tatum, that's what the game dictated. And what the game dictated was, Grant Williams is going to have wide-open three-point shots. But for a guy who made somewhere around 40% of his threes throughout the, regu- throughout the regular season or the playoffs, this should be something to where, hey, man, if he's open, I'm going to give him the ball. That's showing leadership. That's showing strength. That's showing mental toughness. That's showing um, confidence in your teammates, which will give them more confidence, which will give them a better opportunity to make you become uh, a better player. The faith and the trust that Grant Williams, that he saw Jason Tatum giving him, you don't think that's going to make him screen harder for Jason Tatum to get the basketball? You don't think that's going to make him play harder defense against Giannis Adenikupo on the defensive side of the ball? You don't think that's going to make Jason Tatum uh, a better basketball player because of the faith and the trust that he shows in Grant Williams to where the things that I'm supposed to be doing as far as my primary responsibilities while I'm on the court, I'm going to do that a little bit harder because I know that my guy, the franchise, the superstar, has that faith in me. So it's a situation where it's a trickle-down effect. Jason Tatum trusting his teammates makes the Boston Celtics a better team, not just because of the, wow, he trusts his teammates and he's willing not to uh, force shots and this type of thing. It makes the players who are, whose responsibilities are different 
than Jason Tatum in terms of scoring the basketball and makes them do their job much better. So Al Horford is going to give even more of an effort in doing the dirty work in these games because he knows how much that Jason Tatum trusted him. He's going to cut harder to the basket. He's going to be he's going to be a little bit more focused now on offense because he knows that if he is going to be open, that Jason Tatum is going to have to trust in him to get him the ball so he can go ahead and make those shots. So <clears throat> statement statement game. Statement game. Are you a scorer or are you a franchise player? Anybody can go out and score. Well, I should say anybody. A great player can go out and score 40 points and maybe dish out five assists and six rebounds. Uh, uh, fantastic. Wonderful. That makes you a great player. What makes you a franchise player is the way the game is dictated. Maybe you can't go out and get 40. But you know what? You can still score your 28 to 30 to 32. And then instead of having that 45-6 game, we're going to have that 38-11-8 type of game. And again, that's going to impact the overall <clears throat> effort and ability of the team. I mean, how much stronger, how much more enthused, how much more passionate was Grant Williams playing defense against Giannis knowing that Jason Tatum was trusting him like he did? How much now does Marcus Smart play? How much better and how much more elevated is his game knowing how much that Jason Tatum trusts him? So on and so forth. A, a, a Peyton Pritchard all the way down. A Derek White all the way down. So it was, uh, it was a game where, you know, it was really a, a coming out party for it was a coming out party for, for Jason Tatum to uh, let folks know that, hey, man, you know, I'm a superstar and this is what superstars do. It's not about scoring the most points. It's about impacting the game by the way that the other team is dictating how the game is going to be played. Oh, okay, you're going to put all these guys around me because you don't want me to go for 45 like I did in game six and, and, and obliterate your opportunity to uh, win and move on to the Eastern Conference Finals? Cool, okay. But guess what? If you're going to leave my teammate Grant Williams wide open in the quarter time after time after time because you're going to try to do everything to stop me from going nuclear, that's fine. I can just go ahead and I can just let Grant Williams be the hero. And Grant Williams on Sunday was the hero. The Milwaukee Bucks moving forward. <clears throat> man, I tell you what, man. I mean, uh, um, <laughs> Woo, I don't know how much they shot. Boston with a plus 54. A plus 54 from the three-point line. Boston went 22 of 55. Milwaukee, 4 of 33. 4 of 33. Goodness gracious sakes alive. The Bucks starters went 2 of 23 from the three-point line. 2 of 23. Pat Cunnington, Wes Matthews, Grayson Allen. They just ran out of gas, man. Giannis just ran out of gas. And when you're playing without Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday all of a sudden now has to become the secondary scorer. And that's not the greatest strength of Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday is a guy where, I tell you what, man, those guys have no conscience. <clears throat> in terms of Giannis, Drew Holiday, and those guys, and they, don't, they don't care. They're just going to keep playing, and they're going to keep playing, and they're going to keep playing. And whether they're having a bad game, a great game, a horrible game, those guys are just going to keep playing, going to keep playing. If Giannis is 2 for 20 from the free throw line, it's not going to affect his game one iota. He's still going to take the ball to the hoop. He's still going to be able to do his thing. The, guy is, the guy's unbelievable. 
The guy is unbelievable. I mean, the Milwaukee Bucks are true champions. Um, the way they played in this series without Chris Middleton, but it was just a situation where, and I was questioning it coming down the stretch with Milwaukee, if you're thinking about, you know, what could be their Achilles heel. In crunch time, and this was before Chris Middleton went down, but in crunch time, I mean, your your wings are going to either be Pat Connington, Grayson Allen, and Wes Matthews. I mean, that's, that's, that's a liability right there. I mean, Wes Matthews wasn't even in the league a couple of years ago. Grayson Allen is known for his tripping more than he is for his shooting. I mean, Pat Connington is streaky. I mean, and, and they were going to go ahead and um, trust those guys. I mean, Bobby Portis, inconsistent. And it showed against Boston. So, you know, I mean, when, you, when you're speaking about Wes Matthews and George Hill and Bobby Portis and Pat Cullington and Grayson Allen going a combined 6 of 26 from the field and having a negative 61 plus, plus minus, well, what, what, do you want, what do you want Giannis to do? What do you, what do you, what, what, when the team is 4 for 33, what do you want Giannis to do? I mean, he can't go out there and, and run shooting drills for them. I mean, the timeouts are only a few minutes long. I mean, you know, uh, Mike Budenholzer can't, uh, in between timeouts, run out and have those guys do shooting drills. I mean, we're in a game right now. The staff from Milwaukee can't go ahead and make a in-between timeout trade. They're bringing someone who can shoot. It was what it was. So Boston moving on to play the Miami Heat in the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, you know what? Man, I forgot to even talk about James Harden and the Philadelphia 76ers. What's, what's there to say about this team, man? What's there to say about this guy when you're speaking about the uh, 76ers, when you're speaking about James Harden? I don't know. Uh, maybe I should table that for a little bit later because the 76ers are uh, they're, they're a waste of time. <laughs> they're just, right, right now they're just a complete. I put them in the same category as the Brooklyn Nets and the Los Angeles Lakers in terms of why are we speaking about them? I mean, we have such young, fresh, exciting, vibrant players and matchups and storylines. I mean, we're going to go back to James Harden washed up James Harden in terms of him being a top five, top ten player. James Harden still an all-star, but I'm talking about in terms of what the Philadelphia 76ers thought that they were getting. That James Harden is not walking through the door, folks. That James Harden is long gone. And this situation where what are we going to do concerning James Harden with his contract? What are we going to do in terms of Doc Rivers moving forward? What are we going to do with Joel Embiid? In terms of, um, are we going to be getting nervous? Are we going to start having sleepless nights? When is the time that Joel Embiid is going to wake up one night and just think to himself, what am I doing? Why am I with this organization? The process has failed in Philadelphia. It's failed. Of all this, of, of, of everything, all the nonsense of the process starting in 2013 with Sam Hinkie, all that stuff went bye-bye in terms of what they were supposed to do. They, they were supposed to go from being the dregs and being the laughing stock. From 2013 to 2017, they only won 29% of their games. They went 75 and 253. 
But this was supposed to be a situation where, look, you can go ahead and you can pay NBA prices for years, three or four years, to watch Hollis Thompson and Henry Simmons and Thomas Robinson and Elliot Williams and Troy Rutten and Elton Brand and Kendall Marshall and Nick Stauskas and Christian Wood, you know, lose game after game after game and try hard. We can go ahead and we can charge you full NBA prices for watching a, what was essentially a minor league basketball team, and we can uh, pillage your wallet for these season ticket holders to watch that dreck because it's all going to pay off. Because as bad as we're going to get, we're going to start getting players, and we're going to start formulating a squad that's going to be able to win championships, and we're going to go ahead and get players with some real talent because we're going to stink so many years that we're going to be able to get multiple lottery picks, and we're going to be making moves to make sure that we go ahead and we get uh, we build this talent. So when you're speaking about the players that they drafted during this time, you were talking about Michael Carter Williams in 2013. You're speaking about in 2014, they drafted Joel Embiid, number three, Alfred Payton, number 10, and they drafted Alfred Payton over Zach Levine. In 2015, they drafted J- J- Jaheel Okafor, Duke. Remember him? The guy at the freshman, 6'10", low post player, that's all he had, leading Duke to a national championship with, uh, with uh, Justice Winslow's kid. He was drafted number three over Devin Booker. In 2016, number one pick Ben Simmons, that was supposed to be the guy that was going to pair with Joel Embiid, what Joel Embiid's foot injuries were solved, and he came back strong and healthy, that the team, that the duo of Ben Simmons and and, um, uh, Joel Embiid was supposed to be the team that was going to uh, be the cornerstone, be the foundation of competing for championships. Then in 2017, they drafted Markel Fultz after winning the lottery again, over a Jason Tatum, over a Donovan Mitchell, over a Bam on a Bayou. Then with the 2018 draft, they drafted Mikael Bridges, great 3 and D guy. But guess what? On draft day, they traded him to Phoenix for Zaire Smith, who currently right now is playing in the G League. So if you take a look at the 39 players that the Philadelphia 76ers have drafted between 2013 and now up to the present, only Embiid and Tyree Maxey are still on the team. That is a failure. The decision to go with Brett Brown and Ben Simmons over Jimmy Butler after losing to Toronto in the Eastern Conference second round, that is a failure. And that's a situation where Jimmy Butler, even after the game, was speaking about, I don't understand why I'm not with that team anymore. And Joella B was speaking about, I can't, uh, I don't understand why he's not still on the team. I know Jimmy Butler at the time didn't want to deal with Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons because of their immaturity and the way that the uh, franchise coddled them. But uh, still, it was a situation where they decided that, you know what, having Brett Brown as the coach and Ben Simmons as the franchise guy was good enough for them to uh, let Jimmy Butler go to free agency. Big mistake. Big mistake. So. You know, we can go ahead and talk about that. And the, the James Harden situation, you know, going to pick up his $47 million uh, option for next season. He's also eligible for a four-year extension worth $223 million. Hypothetically, he could get a maximum of 274 over five years, but we know that ain't going to happen. As much as Daryl Morey loves him some James Harden, even he's – even 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 he – even those loving eyes can see that he ain't worth all that. So, hey, man, it's a situation where, look, man, it, I mean, they got to talk to uh, they got to talk to um, Harden and say, look, man, I mean, A, number one, this is Joel's team. 
B, this is going to be Tyrese Maxey is going to play the role of Robin to Joel Embiid's Batman. We thought it was going to be you. You're not that guy anymore. You ain't Batman, and you ain't Robin. Maybe you can be Alfred the Butler or something like that. But you can't be Robin. You can't be Batman. So because of that, we ain't going to pay you like you're going to be Batman or Robin. We're going to pay you like you're Alfred. That's still a nice, you know, that's still some nice nice coin he's going to be getting. But it's not going to be anything close to what he thought he was going to be getting or what we thought or what the Philadelphia 76ers and their fan base and their organization and their players thought that he would command based on his play. He just doesn't have it anymore. And he doesn't, he's not going to age well. He's not going to go ahead and do the things. So far, he hasn't shown the inclination to go ahead and do the things to uh, elongate his, his effectiveness and the level that he's at right now. He isn't going to be sleeping in an oxygen chamber. All evidence points to uh, him having a, the attitude where he's not going to be sleeping in an oxygen chamber. He's not going to go vegan. He's not going to spend a million dollars to uh, prepare and to sustain his, his body through exercise and through diet and through calisthenics and through you know physical mental all this type of stuff that's not going to be James Brown uh, James, James Brown that's not going to be James Harden type of a uh, situation James Harden ain't going to get up and get down cuz he feels that he's a sex machine and he would be bewildered if the 76ers didn't say please 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 go don't go you know what i'm saying hi so it's a situation where um you know it's uh, <laughs> the Philadelphia 76ers what are you going to do? What are you going to do? All right. I am done. I am out of here. That's going to be it for today. I'll be back next week. Wendell's World of Sports, as usual, as always. Come on, man. Go ahead and subscribe to this YouTube channel. Go ahead and like this video if you must. Also, if you're listening to this podcast on any of your favorite places to listen to your podcast, download, subscribe, rate, and review. And always, as I always say, man, please, please, especially folks of my generation, especially folks who are fathers and mothers, multiple children, please, for the sake of them, for the sake of uh, us moving forward, if you believe in an almighty being, go ahead and pad your resume even more for Judgment Day. Go ahead, man, and just teach your children. Look, you judge people not based on their skin color, not based on what type of uh, person they love. You don't judge people based on what side of the track that they're from. You don't base them on how much celebrity that they have. You don't base them as human beings and how you judge them on their gender or their race or their political affiliation or anything like that. God bless and prayers and thoughts go out to the victims up in Buffalo who was uh, who were murdered by this piece of garbage who should be put under the prison in tortured mercifully until he dies but it's a situation where come on man we need to go ahead and we need to do better as a society i need to do better as a society you need to do better as a society in terms of showing love showing unity showing harmony showing respect to all of those who deserve it who deserves it those who also have love and peace and unity and harmony for all of those in their hearts regardless as i mentioned before of gender of skin color of of uh, political affiliation of, uh, of uh, you know glo- where where they're from in this globe, what language do they speak? What persons do they love? What gods do they worship? Um, how they dress? How they look? 
all of those type of things, man. Their current situation, as long as they got love in their hearts, as long as they got a good heart and a good soul and are willing to give love to those who deserve it, come on, man, let's go ahead and teach our children those type of things. You judge people on what's in their heart, not by the color of their skin. So maybe situations that took place in Buffalo will be far less than what is happening right now. So that's all I got to say. Wendell Wallace of Wendell's World of Sports. Get me out of here. Music, peace. Thank you.